Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Julia Chesley, and welcome to the show this Friday. And we begin in Ukraine and the desperate battle against the elements to restore heat and light to hundreds of thousands of homes. Repair crews are up against bitter cold, heavy rain and strong winds, which are hampering efforts to restore power supplies. Half of the capital, Kyiv, is reportedly in the dark following Russian missile strikes two days ago. And the weather forecast is bleak. This just gives you an idea of what they could be dealing with in the days and weeks ahead. Residents have also been told to prepare for more blackouts. And just to give you a a broader sense here, doctors in Kyiv carried out a heart surgery on a child by flashlight after the hospital lost power halfway through the procedure. The UN human rights chief says Russia's attacks on the Ukrainian energy network is causing extreme hardship for millions of people. And NATO's Secretary General had this to say a short while ago. What we see now is that uh, President uh, Putin is uh, trying to weaponize winter uh, and uh, by indiscriminate uh, deliberate attacks uh, on uh, uh, cities, on civilian infrastructure, uh, he tries to deprive uh, the Ukrainians uh, of uh, gas, heating, water, uh, and this just demonstrates once again the brutality of this war. And senior international correspondent Sam Kiley is in Zaporizhia for us now. Sam, we're just painting a picture of an ongoing and an escalating human, human or humanitarian crisis in, in Ukraine. Well, it is, Julia, but I don't think any Ukrainian is surprised. They are used to the fact that they're at war. They've been at war with Russia since 2014. There was some surprise, really, that Putin's military machinery didn't go after the critical national infrastructure on day one of this campaign, perhaps because they thought they would win it quickly rather than what they're trying to do now, which is cripple Ukraine's ability to function, to function as a democratic nation, to function as a pro-European democratic nation. That ultimately is the Russian aim. And therefore, going after the infrastructure is to be expected. It is part of the military campaign that the Russians inevitably are waging here. I think from the Ukrainian perspective, consternation coming from the United Nations, from NATO, describing this as a humanitarian crisis or even uh, a widespread abuse of human rights is being treated with a degree of kind of eye rolling from Ukrainians who are saying, well, yeah, duh. Uh, what we need is uh, surface-to-air missiles to stop this happening. And it's surface-to-air missiles that have been relatively slow in coming, particularly the very sophisticated Patriot-type missiles that they're demanding. They're saying if we get the right missiles, we will be able to protect our airspace, and then we can more effectively prosecute the campaign on the ground, Julia. But for the rest of the country, these are now almost routine levels of steady-state 
denigration of the uh, national infrastructure, particularly the energy infrastructure. Seven mass attacks by cruise missiles by Russia coming, <coughs> excuse me, almost weekly right across the nation. Most of those missiles do get shot down. Those that get through denigrate and, and degrade rather the national infrastructure to generate energy and make life a lot harder for Ukrainians. But it could get an awful lot worse. What the Ukrainian government is saying is that we are getting things back up and running pretty quickly. We are managing to get power to their those locations where it is most needed, but life gets a little bit tougher with every week that goes by. And of course, temperatures drop as the weeks go by too, and winter begins to deepen, Julian. Yeah, not exaggerating when the government says this is likely to be the worst winter they've had since the Second World War. Um, yeah, what more can we say? Sam, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that. Sam Kylie there. Okay, let's bring you up to speed now with some more World Cup wonder brighter subjects. Iran beating Wales, would you believe, 2-0, with the, both goals scored in extra time. The Welsh team competing with just 10 men after goalkeeper Wayne Hennessy was sent off. And still to come, the showdown, at least some of us are eagerly awaiting England versus the USA with kickoff in just under five hours time and counting. Amanda Davies is in Doha for us too. And not to mention, Amanda too, there is a key game for the Qataris taking place as we speak now as well for their World Cup prospects. So um, talk us through, clearly lots of anticipation there. Yeah, these games really are coming thick and fast. This is the, the first day of the second round of group stage matches, as you were. We've got our attention back on groups A and B. I'll give you a quick mention of what's going on with the Qatar game against Senegal. Qatar coach Felix Sanchez had said he just wanted his team to bring their A game to this match after such a disappointment in their long-anticipated first-ever World Cup encounter that uh, set this tournament on the way on Sunday. But I have to say, they are currently one goal down at halftime to Senegal. They had a quite a strong penalty shout uh, turned down. And uh, they, I think they're, they're playing better than they did on Sunday, but still not completely um, winning over the fans uh, or the pundits at this point. A long way to go with that one. But in terms of the match that has been completed already today, uh, an incredibly emotional uh, encounter between Wales and Iran. The Iranian coach Carlos Quiros in the build-up to the match had said, please just let my boys focus on the football. They have said their piece in terms of the anti government protests. They have shown solidarity to those who are suffering at home. We saw how that all impacted them in that opening defeat to England, didn't we? They were beaten 6-2. Uh, but against Wales, they were very much regrouped. It was a really dogged performance from Iran uh, with a lot of emotion from the crowd who booed the anthem as it was played before kickoff. As you mentioned, Wayne Hennessy sent off for Wales with six minutes to go. Iran very much took advantage, so uh, took the victory 2-0 and now have given themselves a great shot of making it out of the group stage into the knockout round for the first time in Group B. It really does set up a sensational finish to that group. They take on the US next week, but ahead of that, 
England against US later this evening. It's very difficult for me, I'm afraid to say, to be neutral with this one. High hopes for the England team, ranked fifth in the world. Many people's uh, amongst the favourites for this tournament. And Gareth Southgate has said they still need to be better than that performance earlier in the week against Iran. They want to make it through with a game to spare. Uh, Harry Kane has been declared fit to play. But the US are, are thriving on that uh, title that they've been dubbed as underdogs and hoping to cause another upset against England as they did in 1950 and 2010. I was going to say, fingers crossed for Iran, because I think a lot of people are, um, are behind them emotionally. But of course, that has huge consequences, of course, too, for, for, the, for the English team. Very quickly, Amanda, any predictions on the, uh, the results? <laughs> Is that That's really very unfair, Julia. I'm sorry. I'm completely I, I, professional, I of course. <laughs> um, you don't have no, to. I would. Uh, England have been, you know, they really got a very confidence-boosting, big scoring win um, in their opening game. I don't think it will be quite as big against the US because these two teams know each other very well. So I think it will be an England win, but maybe a couple of goals in it this time. Oh, okay. There we go. We shall see. I'm not going to respond with my own predictions here. So put you in the hot seat and then stay away from it myself. Thank you, Amanda. Great to have you with us. Amanda Davies there in Doha. Okay, far more serious news now. China is reporting its highest daily numbers of COVID cases, new COVID cases, since the pandemic began, and that for the second day running. Now, while the ongoing impact, too, of Beijing's strict zero COVID policies seemingly apparent once again on Thursday night, 10 people lost their lives in a fire in a residential building in Xinjiang where COVID restrictions seem to have delayed firefighters from getting to the scene. Selena Wang joins us now from Beijing. Selena, it's um, one of many stories that we've heard and that you've been reporting on. What more do we know about what happened here? Yeah, Julia, in this case, it is sparking nationwide outrage because it really strikes a core when we've seen these stories of tragedy over and over again because of the lack of ability to get that emergency care, to get the ambulance, to get the fire trucks there during these lockdowns. Now, this fire broke out in the capital of China's far west Xinjiang region on Thursday night. Ten people were killed and nine injured at an apartment building from that fire in Urumqi. Now, most parts of Xinjiang have been under lockdown for more than 100 days. That deadly fire sparking nationwide outrage after widely circulated videos, which have now been censored in China, show that COVID lockdown measures very likely delayed those firefighters from getting to the scene. State media claims that people in the compound were allowed to leave the building, that it was considered a low-risk COVID area. But the videos show fire trucks unable to get close to the scene because the compound entrance, we were showing that video earlier, is partially blocked. The video shows that it is blocked with fences, tents, metal barriers that are normally used as part of COVID measures. The video you're seeing there also shows smoke and flames coming from that high floor of the building, but the water actually failing to reach the fire because the help is not close enough to the scene. What adds to the tragedy, Julia, is that those who died in the fire spent, likely spent their last three months largely confined to that building, if not entirely. So, Julia, this just another striking, stark, tragic example of the type of suffering we've been seeing playing out for three years now. Yeah, the futility of those scenes, though, and you can see the water just hitting the building too low. Um, 
It sort of goes back to what you and I have now been describing now for many days, whether it's the, the human cost here or the challenges in the manufacturing sector and the, the protests that we saw in the Foxconn building. It sort of ties, I think, more broadly to the story here, which is the perception, I think, that, that China is an unreliable supply chain partner, the concerns over how long this goes on, and, and of course the broader backdrop over the tensions that we already see with the West over things like intellectual property and, and technology. And I know you've been looking at that in light of what we're seeing too, Selena. Yeah, exactly, Julie. I think the Foxconn protests really brought the focus back to China because for so right. long it was seen as such a positive part of Apple that they're able to have this super efficient, very low cost, but highly capable workforce in China that could very cheaply pump out the assembly, the manufacturing. But now we're seeing how these snap lockdowns really, really make it a risk factor. And a lot of the news on U.S.-China relations was covered with these handshakes and smiles at the G20. But underneath that, of course, intense competition in so many areas, especially over key semiconductor chips. The Biden administration unveiled export controls last month that really hit at the very core of China's technological ambitions. China wants its two million strong military combat ready. But war is already playing out between the U.S. and China on the technological battlefield. New export controls from the Biden administration choke off China's access to advanced computer chips, throttling China's high-tech ambitions. Those tiny computer chips. Washington upping the ante. Just weeks before, U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping met in Bali, where they promised to stabilize U.S.-China relations. But fierce competition on technology set to intensify, despite the handshakes and smiles. This act is unprecedented in terms of modern times. This certainly poisons the waters further. The goal? To protect America's national security interests by stopping China from advancing its military capabilities that Washington says includes weapons of mass destruction. But America's latest move hits virtually all of China's industries because almost everything has a chip in it. Your smartphone, car, refrigerator. This has had a tremendous effect on the Chinese economy. Beijing claims Washington is strangling the country by the neck. China's readout of Biden and Xi's meeting at the G20 said starting a trade war or a technology war, pushing for decoupling and severing supply chains run counter to the principles of market economy. Such attempts serve no one's interests. China has poured billions of dollars and years of effort into building its semiconductor industry, but it still lags far behind the U.S., Taiwan and South Korea. When you talk to Chinese officials, they say it's probably put them back a decade right, in their effort to obtain an indigenous source of advanced microprocessors. Xi Jinping is urging the country to be self-reliant in technology and innovation, telling chip engineers at a factory to grasp the lifeblood of technology in our own hands and prepare for even more restrictions from Washington. I expect these types of export controls to be rolled out in lots of other key strategic industries. The new rules bar the export to China of advanced chips made anywhere in the world using U.S. technology bans U.S. companies from selling tools needed to make those chips, restricts Americans from supporting chip development at certain manufacturing facilities in China, cutting China off from critical talent. 
The U.S. sees China as its biggest long-term strategic threat that has the power and intent to reshape the international order. So Washington wants to stop selling anything to China that could later be used against the U.S. But as China turbocharges its homegrown industries, the battle for technology supremacy is only beginning. Selena Wang, CNN, Beijing. And all of this obviously having a big impact on the global companies that sell into China. U.S. chip tool maker Lam Research said it could lose between $2 billion and $2.5 billion in annual revenue in 2023 as a result of these U.S. export curbs. And it might just be the beginning. Experts tell me they expect U.S. export controls to be rolled out in other strategic areas, including quantum and biotech, Julia. Yes, and of course it also has huge implications for those looking to shop for those digital gadgets this year and beyond as well, which is where we're going next. Selena Wang, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that report there. And across the world, shoppers are chasing discounts as Black Friday gets underway. Yet despite concerns regarding higher prices and squeezed budgets, the president of e-commerce firm Shopify told CNN earlier today that people are still searching for those all-important bargains. We were already seeing numbers slightly up from last year based on Thanksgiving peak sales per minute. And I think that, you know, one of the one of the other major, uh, you know, takeaways from this this season is this Black Friday to Monday period is no longer just a weekend. It's really become a season. And I think that a lot of consumers were shopping earlier and looking for discounts. But the major trend here is intentionality. We really are seeing that consumers are buying in a very intentional way. They want to buy from their favorite brands. They do want to find discounts, but they want to support their favorite brands and they want to buy direct as much as possible. And Alison Kosick joins us now from one of New York's shopping meccas, Macy's. Alison, this could be a, a quite a dangerous gig, actually, to be sent to if there's hordes of excitable shoppers willing to mow you down or elbow you out the way. Exactly. Tell me what it's been like so far this morning. And it's only, what, 20 past nine? <laughs> You know what, Julie, this is why I love my job. Who, you know, who would want to stand in the iconic Macy's department store right in the middle of Herald Square in New York City and watch happy shoppers just run around the store and look for those bargains that you talked about? It's those deals, Julia, that is driving shoppers into stores this holiday shopping season, especially with the weight of inflation upon them. Just today, Black Friday here in the U.S., um, a whopping 115 million people are expected to shop just on this day. More than half are expected to shop in store. I haven't even mentioned the long weekend of shopping, which actually started on Thanksgiving Day and ends on Cyber Monday. 166 million people will shop during this long holiday shopping period. And like I said, they're looking for those deals because uh, inflation is that elephant in the room. Um, I've talked to a lot of shoppers who told me that they are really sticking to budgets this year, and it's the deals, it's the discounts. Deals and discounts like this one, 60% off the original price. This is the kind of stuff that brings people in stores, like here in Macy's, and uh, really is the, the deciding factor on what they're going to buy, Julia. There was someone over your shoulder there putting a shopping bag inside another shopping bag. That is a strategic way to look like you're shopping less than you are. Um, Alison Kosick, <laughs> thank you so much. That's an interesting tip. I know. Or online. See, that also hides it. <laughs> Alison Kosick, thank you for that. OK, more first move after this. Stay yeah. with us.
Welcome back to First Move. And as you were just hearing, as consumer spending kicks into high gear ahead of the holiday season, the pressure for retailers to source products from around the world in good time and at the right price. Right now, shippers are grappling with high fuel costs, tight spending budgets, and here in the United States too, potential rail strikes that could impact up to 40% of cargo imports. There is some good news though. Just take a look at the fall in shipping costs over recent months. You can see that peak was back in September of last year. That's something my next guest knows all about. Flexport is a logistics tech firm using the cloud to simplify the supply chain using digital technology. And while they don't own any ships, planes or trains of their own, it's their software that's driving freight around the world. And Ryan Peterson is the founder and co-CEO and joins us now. Ryan, it's um, logistics for the 21st century. I think if I can coyly say that. I also think that probably over the last two and a half years, you've um, seen and done it all with the challenges that we've seen. Just explain and put that fall in shipping costs into perspective for us, please. And tell us what you're seeing currently. Yeah, good morning, everybody. It's um, what I think it's great news. So Flexport is a logistics technology company. We also help thousands of brands ship all their products into the United States. And so our, our customers are feeling a huge amount of relief that shipping prices have come down as far as they were, as far as they have. Last year, you saw a peak of almost 20,000 to ship a container from Asia to the US. Long run, like the last 20 years, uh, you can really think it's more like 2,000 bucks is kind of the rule of thumb, and we're back there. Um, And you need that, you need something that's much more sustainable. These businesses, the economic models are built off of affordable shipping. It's sort of the the thing that we take for granted that's fueled so much economic prosperity around the world the last the last few decades. And, and so we're back to relative normalcy there. And, and also transit times. Last year, you saw those famous images of the ships waiting off the coast of Long Beach, where there was like 100 ships at a time just sitting there waiting. That's all gone away or, or for the most part has gone away. And so it's it's the transit times for getting product from Asia to the U.S., are back to almost normal. It's still taking a little bit longer. There's still some congestion in the ports and and with the trucking capacity, but uh, but things are normalizing, so brands can count on their shipping again. Yeah, it's good news to the brands. Does it take some of the shine off your edge? Because the way that I view your business, and perhaps you can explain it, is you digitally have a sense of where things are moving, where the opportunities are. You can say, look, we're going to utilize this person to get this goods from here. We're going to use this warehouse over here to store it for two weeks. Does the fact that we're seeing some of those kinks come out of the supply chain actually make um, the capabilities that you have in terms of understanding the data around the world actually um, sort of less useful? Uh, well, basis. you know, certainly the, we were never more useful than the last couple of years. I've not, yeah, you know, normally I agree. Kind of the, <laughs> in the back office, you don't think that much about your shipping. It's just kind of take it for granted. Certainly the CEO is not getting involved. They're working on their brand and on their product, on their marketing, et cetera. Uh, last couple of years, we did more CEO meetings, C-level meetings than probably ever in our history as an industry. Not really where we want to be. If I'm getting called in front of the CEO of a company, something's probably not great. So we're happy to be in the background and just make things run smoother as an industry. And our technology still has a huge role to play. There's always going to be bottlenecks. There's always challenges. uh, And technology makes it much easier. So, for example, at the port of L.A. right now where we have our mobile app on truck drivers and we're running much more efficient turns to get containers out of the port than someone who doesn't have this technology. We're already, you know, that, that's gonna last forever. So I think there's a huge role to play. That makes sense to me. Just in terms of how much time on average you can save by 
using your technology relative to traditional forms of, of utilizing the supply chain. What are we talking about here? How much time? Yeah, well, you save? see a huge headcount savings in, in, in your supply chain and teams. And it's not just like your transportation teams that use our tech. That's what's really interesting is that we bring the finance team in here. They have to pay the bills for both right. the logistics and they're buying merchandise from overseas. Uh, and we give them data on which bills are ready to be paid. Have the goods arrived have the, or not, right? And you don't want to pay for goods that haven't been shipped yet. Um, we're bringing marketing and sales teams in here to be able to understand when are the products in stock so they can run their campaigns and, and let their customers know. And so it's really that communication overhead that we're saving people. So uh, it makes brands much more efficient, but more importantly, it makes their customer experience better if they can inform their customer exactly when their products are going to arrive. Sometimes it's late, but if you can tell the customer, you can still preserve that customer experience. Yeah, but your point about your financing arm actually is vital in a world where interest rates are going up and you don't want to be paying perhaps earlier than you should be and can keep that cash on deposit or do something else with it. So that's actually a critically important point to understand data is key though for me, for, for your business and what you see. And it helps you build a pattern of, of consumption that we see around the world. And at least as far as your latest sort of consumption and research report suggests, you, you're sort of not concerned about recession risk. You're not seeing that, at least in the data that, that you're collecting. Walk us through that and give me a sense of, of, of global geography too, because you also have a really good picture around the world. Yeah. So, um, I, Flexport is now the sixth largest ocean freight uh, shipping company in, on the Pacific Ocean, which is the largest trade lane. We're sort of like top 20 on Asia to Europe lanes and US to Europe trade lanes. We're much smaller in Latin America and Africa, although we are shipping to 112 countries. So we do have data everywhere, but our samples are much more rich uh, on, those, on those bigger markets. What we're seeing is, uh, and we have a small economics team. So for every single shipment, we see the commercial invoice, which tells you what's exactly inside this container or on an air freight uh, pallet, what's in there, what is its value, you know, it's really, really granular, rich data. Um, and we've got a small economic team that analyzes all this to say what's happening in the world. We also, they also read over 1500 company reports to get a sense of where people are with inventory levels, uh, looking at government data around GDP and other sort of consumption data. Uh, and the, the picture that they're painting is that actually we saw in Q4, right so far in the last quarter, in the last 90 days, we see a 1% increase year over year in real dollar terms, meaning adjusted for inflation mm. uh, in, in consumption of goods. Um, so I, that doesn't mean we're not concerned about a recession. I certainly, you know, personally, I'm quite concerned. I think um, the interest rate rises is going to be a big deal. People are kind of spending through their savings right now. And, and it's, that's not a great place to be as a society is spending through your savings. So. We're quite concerned, but Flexport has an incredible data picture. And what we're seeing so far from our data is consumers holding up. People are still spending. And um, now on the shipping side, brands are overstocked and therefore shipping a lot less. Um, we've got about 20% less imports year over year entering the port of LA than year prior. So that, you know, at some point they're going to spend through all this, uh, sell through all this inventory and need to start ordering more goods. But for the meantime, it looks like a deep recession in the freight industry. That's really interesting. I mean, we spoke to the, the chief of the Port of LA recently, and we were talking about the union negotiations as well. And what part of that slowdown that we're seeing is because there's too much inventory, so they need to import less, or people are just rerouting elsewhere because they don't want to deal with potential snarls there as a result of the unions. Do you have a sense, Ryan, of, of, of how much is the former versus the latter? 
it, it is a little bit of both. That's a that's a very good and astute point. Um, the there there is a little bit of both, but other ports are also down. Maybe not quite as b- bad as the West Coast, uh, but East Coast ports are also down uh, considerably over last year. So, but you're right. People are worried that there's going to be a union uh, strike. They don't have a contract right now. They're sort of in this period where their contract has expired, and thankfully they're still working uh, even without the contract being renewed. Um, but brands are worried that there'll be a strike, so they've started routing goods through the Panama Canal just in case right. because it's a different union operating on the East Coast. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. We'll keep the conversation going because you do have a, a really early sense of what we're talking about. And as you said, your personal concern is that the recession risk is out there, but we're not yet seeing it in the data. And I think we will. And you'll be a great lead indicator. So um, come back and talk to us soon. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great week. Be happy to. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday, everybody. Bye. Ryan Peterson there, founder and co-CEO of Flexport. Great to chat to you. Welcome back to First News. The UN Human Rights Council has voted to set up a fact-finding mission to investigate alleged human rights abuses in Iran. It comes, of course, as protests continue across the country. And what you're seeing now is demonstrators in Switzerland celebrating the passage of that UN resolution. Iran has condemned the UN vote in saying it did not reflect the facts inside Iran. Meanwhile, protests are continuing there and the crackdown is only making people angrier. CNN spoke to a defiant doctor whose bruises testify to the violence he's endured himself. He's calling on organizations like the UN to take more action, as CNN's Jamanika Radshay reports. Iranians have been risking it all for freedom to break free of the shackles of a repressive regime. That's brutality and bullets, only fueling the anger of those on the streets, making them more defiant than ever. I know as long as Islamic Republic is ruling the country, I couldn't do uh, my duty. This doctor we're not identifying for safety reasons, was one of hundreds of medical professionals who gathered in Tehran last month for a demonstration organized by their council, and it was violently broken up. Doctors tell CNN at least one person was killed, many injured, including one shot in the eyes and blinded. As soon as I arrived there, uh, the area was full of um, all kinds of forces. Um, Plain clothes forces was too much, and they uh, literally shoot everyone that was uh, walking on the sidewalk of the street. I have bruises. Uh, multiple bruises uh, in front of my body and back, and all of them was uh, above my waist. But I saw uh, injuries that by uh, with bottles, and uh, they uh, beat a lot. Electric shock. Just for going out and protesting, you could go to jail or get killed. It's not just that. It literally could be worse. We wish uh, they kill us on the streets rather than they uh, arrest us. Because of all the horrors in detention facilities, all these risks, the threats to you and to your family, that's not stopping you and others. Of course not. They killed more than 1,500 in uh, three days, in less than a week, about two years ago. We know it could happen, and uh, all of us, we will continue. There is no other way. We came from a long journey, and we uh, realized that Islamic Republic cannot change, and don't want to change. It is our duty uh, to our next generation that uh, we fight it and uh, hopefully uh, we can change it. Only Iranians can change it. 
this protester and others say. But they believe the international community can do more than just watch, condemn and announce symbolic sanctions. They could um, close uh, Islamic Republic ambassadors, United Nations, uh, UNICEF, uh, pay more attention. We need actual action. The most important question is, are they willing to do that or not? Stand on the right side of the history or not? Monica Nace, CNN, Istanbul. Okay, coming up after the break, we're talking about the price of loyalty with Lolly. As crypto prices collapse, how do you factor that into a Bitcoin-based reward scheme? The CEO of Lolly will explain. That's next. Welcome back to First Move. As shoppers look to save money on Black Friday deals, as we've been discussing, retailers are increasingly reliant on things like reward programs to keep customers loyal. And one such scheme is Lolly. It works with major U.S. brands ranging from CVS to Shake Shack with rewards paid out in Bitcoin that are held in a crypto wallet and can also be swapped into U.S. dollars and then transferred to a U.K., U.K., a U.S. bank account. The challenge, as you can see, of course, though, the price of digital assets like Bitcoin have taken a severe tumble. This chart shows how Bitcoin has collapsed since Thanksgiving last year. Undeterred, however, Lolly says stores are raising their reward weights in greater numbers than before. Alex Edelman is the CEO of Lolly and he joins us now. Alex, fantastic to have you on the show. Just explain what you're seeing around, obviously, Thanksgiving, Black Friday and Cyber Monday on Monday, of course, too. So we're seeing an incredible increase in what merchants are willing to offer to get people to come into their stores and to shop online. Um, we're seeing a, like uh, the, most of our major merchants are doubling their rates this year. Uh, so we just think that there's like an increased um, interest in bringing people back into stores and uh, get giving them the best deals possible so that they'll shop there um, and fighting against uh, you know companies like Amazon. You know, it was interesting. I remember when we first started talking about this company, we were talking about it being in, in many ways an on-ramp to get people comfortable with crypto. They buy traditional products in stores and they get rewarded with a piece of Bitcoin um, or, or some Bitcoin. And they can add that and continue to grow that and, and hold it in a wallet as an investment or spend it should they choose to. Um, do you think some of the reward increases you, that you're um, talking about here is simply because uh, the price of, of assets like Bitcoin have, have fallen so much. They're having to offer more to incentivize. No. Um, I mean, we, we're, uh, we offer cashback and Bitcoin. So our users, the vast majority, uh, choose to earn Bitcoin. And that's where we've attracted over 600,000 users as being a you know, Bitcoin first company. Uh, I'm a big believer Bitcoin is the greatest asset the, the world has ever seen. And it's <laughs> a internet native money that is completely decentralized. And so, you know, as we see rising inflation and uh, rising CPI across the board, uh, we think Bitcoin is an incredible asset for people to acquire, especially while it, while it's down right now. So um, the merchants offering higher rewards is completely independent of Bitcoin. Um, we do see that uh, our, our shoppers are typically a, a higher value shopper. Um, and so merchants are looking to attract uh, our, our customers um, to their sites, to their stores, and so they, we do have the highest rates in the industry overwhelmingly. And uh, I think people see that when they come to our site and, and download the mobile app. 
There was a lot of key points in there that you mentioned. And I think for a true believer, as you said, you are in in Bitcoin specifically, then one could argue this is a great time to be rewarded in Bitcoin or to be investing once again. Um, But you also made the point, and this is critical too, that people can get ordinary cash back too, Alex. Are you seeing a higher proportion of people in light of some of the turbulence that we've seen decide to take cash rather than Bitcoin? Or is what you're saying actually you're seeing more rather than less people invest at this moment or at least decide to take Bitcoin? So we did just launch our cash back offering, like a direct to cash back offering. And, and part of the reason we did it is we we were listening to the market. Uh, right. We know that people want to save money now more than ever. And, we, you know, we think independent of Bitcoin, we've created the best savings tool out there. Um, I think when, when you and I first met, uh, Bitcoin was probably around like $5,000. And so now it's clearly <laughs> 16000 So uh, it's it's gone up quite a bit. So I think we were very right about Bitcoin, um, even though it's been gone up and down uh, along the way. It's it's still up. You know, significantly. So, if you had earned 10% back, uh, you know, at CVS or wherever you were earning, uh, that would be a equivalent of 30% back if you had earned Bitcoin. So, if with the with cashback, we do know that a lot of people, when they use a savings tool like Lolly, they do want cashback because they're thinking about that money that they can put into something else. A, a lot of people um, haven't made that jump quite yet into thinking about their savings tool as an investment tool. So, you know, when we invented this, you know, this industry, Bitcoin Rewards, uh, four and a half years ago, uh, we were very early. Now, now we want to diversify and give people more ways to earn. So I think as the uh, the price of Bitcoin has gone down um, and uh, inflation has gone up and we're most likely going into recessionary times, I do think a lot of people want to save cash uh, now more than ever. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you can separate out the economic environment and the desire to save more and earn rewards from anything that's going on in the crypto space specifically, which um, I think is also a very important point that you're making here, Alex. Um, I want to talk to you about what's happened, though, with with the FTX collapse, because I've seen some of the comments that you've made and you said specifically about the, the crypto space. And I use that term carefully because I know that is a huge catch all term for many diverse uh, digital assets, the underlying technologies, uh, blockchain specifically. Um, let's just make that point first. But you have said the space has irrevocably changed. What do you mean by that? And what do people need to be aware of? Particularly since I think it has thrown a, a dark shadow, I think, over a sector that still for a lot of people, they don't really understand. It's, it's a great observation. And, and I think that is the the sentiment right now of uh, many um, people both in the United States and, and across the world. Um, Bitcoin, you know, is a very different uh, asset uh, than other crypto, as people you know call it. Um, I think it's important to make that distinction and to really understand the fundamentals of Bitcoin are not necessarily the fundamentals of every other cryptocurrency. There's a lot of what what crypto has created is this free market where people can create their own tokens, create their own monetary policies. And a lot of them have tried to copy the the fundamentals of Bitcoin and 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 not succeeded. So, what happened with FTX is they really they created their own token and uh, had it in the centralized entity. Uh, it was it was centralized finance more than it was decentralized finance. They used a token that they created to do it, but it was the furthest thing from Bitcoin. It, it was it looked way more similar to a central bank uh, printing dollars than it did a set monetary policy of creating you know, 
this this set monetary policy, the set technology that was the same technology for eight billion people like Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin is based. There's only 21 million of them. And every 10 minutes, you know, block is discovered and, and everybody has the same rules. Everyone has the same code base. It's this beautiful financial system that's available to everyone in the world. And there's these imitators that have tried to uh, co-opt it and, and create their own scams um, that are that are not Bitcoin or very the, almost the antithesis of Bitcoin and why Bitcoin was created to actually stop the centralized uh, monetary policies um, from happening. So I think Bitcoin is the answer to the, the scams uh, more so than it is uh, to be grouped in with it. It's actually a really fascinating analogy that you're using and this idea that the initial proponents of something like Bitcoin was to get away from the um, sort of crazy uh, sort of monetary policy from central banks in the past and this endless printing of money and the idea that the centralized nature of what we saw in FTX was sort of a similar thing. Um, an argument once again for decentralized finance, perhaps. Alex, great to chat to you. Thank you so much for coming on once again. Thank you for we'll having chat me. again soon. Alex Edelman there, the CEO of Lolly. Okay, welcome back to the show. As we've been discussing numerous times on the show, Black Friday is one of the year's biggest days for shopping. And while trucks will help transport most purchases in the not too distant future, drones could be making deliveries to your doorstep, perhaps. CNN's Anna Stewart has the story. As drone deliveries become more common, one city in the Middle East is working to help this kind of technology literally take off. This special pilot area to develop and test drones is in the heart of Dubai's Silicon Oasis. The Dubai Future Flight Foundation have offered us a sandbox to trial the types of drone technologies that we're using. We're able to create a safe test environment where we can understand what the commercial value is. Skyports is a UK-based drone company that was formed in 2018. Its drones currently fly in London and Singapore, delivering medical supplies and transferring light cargo between shores and ships. The company hopes to launch similar services in Dubai, a city with more than 3 million people who mostly rely on motorbikes for deliveries. The idea there is that by removing a vehicle off the road that would normally provide that delivery service, what we're doing is allowing our customers to achieve some of their low emission sustainability targets. Air, rail and vehicle transport is linked to more than a quarter of carbon dioxide emissions worldwide, according to the International Energy Agency. But experts believe drones could reduce that figure because they're electrically powered. So if we can provide solutions uh, that will be more efficient uh, and that will, uh, of course, have almost zero uh, emissions, then this is the biggest impact I see. More than 660,000 drone deliveries have been made globally in the last three years, according to McKinsey. That figure is projected to rise up to 1.5 million. But widespread adoption depends on many factors, such as regulations, customer acceptance and operational costs. Over 100 companies are piloting drones for delivery today, according to McKinsey. The major challenge would be on the airspace to make sure that the skies will be safe. Skyports operates about 30 drones in countries where they have the green light to fly. And now that the company has completed its testing phase in Dubai, the team hopes to soon add another country to the list. 
Anna Stewart, CNN, Dubai. OK, let's make a final return to football and the match millions are waiting for. England versus the USA with kickoff in just over four hours time. England have yet to beat the Americans in a World Cup match. And today they take on one of the youngest squads in the tournament. And who better to have discuss the prospect of this than myself and Anna Stewart to discuss football? Our CNN viewers are in really safe hands here. And I have a very critical question to ask you. Do we think that Gareth Southgate will adhere to his usual 3-2-2-3 formation tonight? What do we think? I think he's going to do a 4-3-3 formation, Julia. Oh. I would love to tell you what that means, but I did look it up players? just in case you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know any players there are in a moment. But, What's Julia, the upside rule? let's have a look at okay, no. the papers, because this is what Go I on. have been educating myself on. Look at this from the Sun. Wheel Kane Yanks from the Daily Star. Bunk off Friday. I'm hearing offices are pretty quiet. Huge amounts of confidence from people I speak to that England will win here against the USA. They're very much the underdogs. But, Julia, but there is a bit of a curse when it comes to England playing the USA in World Cups. In uh, 2010, they actually drew. In 1950, if you want to go back that far, they actually lost. So I've been asking people here about this curse, how worried they are. I caught up with an Englishman, a Scotsman and a Canadian. There's a joke in there somewhere. Take a listen. Well, that's a curse. I mean, in the last World Cup, we still qualified, but uh, I'm pretty confident we're going to win that 3 or 4 nil. Will you still be here? Can I see your confidence later on today? No, I'm going to hide because if we lose, I can't be <laughs> So they're confident. No, no, they're not England, 3-0. 3-0? Yeah. 3-4-0, you think you said? 3. Let's go 3. 3. USA, USA. <laughs> because he's from Scotland. Scottish fan, and I'm Scottish too. Uh, and I have to say, if you have seen, I'm not sure whether we've got it, but if you've seen any of the video of when England does win, even in this venue, the beer flying through the air, the beer shower that you can expect, does make me wonder whether I might actually be supporting Team USA tonight, but I have got my brolly handy just in case. Julia? You're Scottish, Anna. So I'm not going to put you on the, on the spot now. Are you going to be supporting England tonight <laughs> with that umbrella? Otherwise, I'm going to tell all those people who are throwing beer around later when England win to um, target you. It's quite you. telling, isn't it? <laughs> um, no, for the purpose of this assignment, and I do know that CNN will have someone in the US in a similar pub setup. Tonight, I will be supporting England for the purposes okay. of my job. That might have just saved you a complete drowning from beer when the result comes in <laughs> and have fun. I'm quite worried. I know. Get that umbrella ready. <laughs> Stuart, thank you so much for that. And that's <laughs> it for the show. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is up next. We'll see you next week. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 